Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Resilient and Real. I'm your host for today, Aymara Freeman, Public Relations Manager. Today, I have the pleasure of having Maribel Gutierrez, Equity Cultural Comp Officer with the Department of Behavioral Health, and Marcelina Shackelford, the Chair of the Native American Awareness Subcommittee. Welcome. Thank you for having us. So during the month of November, we remember, celebrate, and bring awareness to the diverse and rich culture and history of Native American people. Yes. So it's a time to recognize the contributions of Native Americans to our nation and to our state. Also to acknowledge um, and remember the history of Native American peoples in our nation. So one of the things that we want to do to ensure that we bring acknowledgement is to start off with a land acknowledgement. A land acknowledgement is a formal statement that recognizes and respects Indigenous peoples as traditional stewards of this land. And Marcelina will be offering today's land acknowledgement. Hi, everyone. I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to hold this space with all of you. Uh, we want to take the time to respectfully acknowledge and recognize our responsibility to the original and current caretakers of this land, water, and air, the Kawea, Tongva, Mosenio, and Serrano, and all those uh, tribes that reside within San Bernardino County, the Chimawebe uh, Reservation, Colorado River Tribes, and Fort Mojave peoples and all of their ancestors and descendants, past, present, and future. Today, this meeting place is home to many indigenous peoples from all over the world, and we are grateful to have the opportunity to live and work on these homelands. Thank you so much. So my first question is, the Native American Alaska Native communities are historically underserved and underrepresented in public health systems due to stigma associated with historical mistrust and seeking behavioral health services. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I don't know if I mentioned, but I am Luceno and Copeno, so I am a local native for, from California. And because of historical trauma and colonization, there is a great mistrust in, in accessing services and navigating through systems of care. We are, we are very underserved. And unfortunately, there is a huge stigma attached to accessing mental health services as well as, you know, uh, services in general. And maybe you can talk a little bit about how services are provided. So as for me, actually, my mom is Brazilian and my dad is Bolivian, but he's actually like indigenous Bolivian from he's from the Aymara tribe in Bolivia. And um, when I talk to him kind of about behavioral health things, you know, mental health related things, he responds talking about, you know, the the stars and the alignment of the moon and and things like that that are are different than what I'm used to having been born in the United States and, and grown up in Southern California. So maybe can you talk a little bit about how important it is to provide behavioral health care in a way that is relevant for Native communities? Sure. So as Native people, we believe in the interconnectedness of our spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental selves. And so when one is affected, they're all affected. And so we look at that from uh, that holistic approach and just providing services that acknowledge that is important. It's not just that the Western medical model that's significant to us. We recognize the ancestors as well as being present within the room. We believe in the seventh generation. Uh, so we have that ability to heal for those that have 
uh, past, our ancestors, as those that come after us. So that healing process is not does not just affect us individually. Wow, it's I think it's so different than what I'm used to. Is there maybe in uh, your community a a distrust in in Western medicine and taking a pill versus you know an, another form of healing? So I think there's a significant amount of mistrust with Western medical um, medicines. You know, historically, you know, we we talk about uh, the smallpox where they gave us uh, blankets that were infested with smallpox. So yes, there is a great deal of mistrust. And, and oftentimes because of the lack of services, you know, a behavioral health isn't something that we seek. We consider it not accessible to us financially. Um, and oftentimes because of Indian health services, the underfunding that is present in a lot of our reservation systems uh, we're grateful that San Bernardino County Department of Behavioral Health has opportunities and has grants, prevention and early intervention grants that talk about that to help us to be able to communicate those services that are available to them and to provide a culturally responsive approach to accessing behavioral health services. Well, thank you so much for, for bringing that up. That's actually one of my questions because, yes, definitely, I know DBH through you know, what you just talked about and also our subcommittees, we really desire to work towards eliminating behavioral health disparities and, and barriers to service. What are some other ways that we can accomplish this? Just want to follow up on some of the things that Marcelina said, but just understanding the history of our Native American communities here in California, understanding the discrimination that they have gone through and the resiliency of colonialism. Mm -hmm. So starting there with that awareness of where we're providing service, talking to communities and participating in community and really asking questions that are intentional to our communities that we're serving. I'm not just being curious, but being intentional in everything that we do. Right now with COVID and the vaccine and all of these things, what have you been experiencing or what do you notice on, on your side in terms of hesitancy or any of those things related to, to COVID and the vaccine? So I work with Riverside San Bernardino County Indian Health, um, and we uh, know that we are an at-risk population. So we have made a really big push uh, to provide the vaccine for, you know, we started with our elders first, and then we worked our way down with patients. And so we really try to educate our community regarding the vaccine. I was fortunate enough to be able to sit on some focus groups. And we understand that um, there is a huge mistrust and a lot of lack of information regarding the vaccine itself. And so being able to educate our community in ways that they can understand that are culturally re relevant for them as well. We held some vaccine clinics, so just educating them about the misinformation that's out there. Uh, you know, I think with all populations, we're getting misinformation on social media, on the internet. And so just being able to provide them with accurate information and speaking to them about that responsibility that we have to our communities and really reaching out to our elders because, you know, uh, honestly, our elders were uh, really afraid mm -hmm. because of their history, because of their history with medical and Indian health services as well. I don't know if you're familiar, but up until I believe in the 1970s, there was forced sterilization. Yes, yes. So there's a significant amount of mistrust. And so just being able to address those, to listen 
to our elders and be able to meet them where they're at and, and provide as much education as possible. Yeah. And, and really, I don't know, and I have yet to seen it. And I don't think really anybody has a solution as to how to reconcile that, because I, I know you're talking about misinformation. And I agree with there's plenty of that. But when there's that stuff that is historical, when the sterilization or, or the things that we're having, like the syphilis trials and the things in Honduras, when you look back and you say, oh, yeah, that did happen. And it wasn't that long ago. How How do you like get people to say, oh, yeah, you know, that was wrong then, but we're right now. Like, I don't know how to get over that, even myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, and for many of our underserved communities and those that have mis um, mistrusting government is, you know, just being able to share with them facts and stories and just reintroducing them so that they have the information that they go to places that they feel that are safe, like our Native American Resource Center, or even just come to one of our subcommittee meetings and start building rapport with those individuals that are providing them the information. Um, having those trusted people in the community and in government working together, that shows a lot for community trust. Yes. And I think it really helps with, with understanding as well. I mean, there's been many instances even working here and, and within the community where, you know, you don't necessarily agree on it, but at least you can can speak on it. You can have a discussion, you can be civilized and you can agree to disagree. And I, I think that's there's power behind that as well. So just to kind of wrap it up a little bit, November is Native American Heritage Month. What can we do to help celebrate that? So one of the things that you can first do is really look up the history of the land which you reside in. Look at, you know, whose homelands these were, whose stewards these are, and give thanks for them that you're able to be here today. Uh, colonialism is something that is ongoing. It's not in the past, and we have to know how we're participating in that currently with all of our efforts that we do as a department around equity and inclusion. Um, how are we showing that to the community that we are trusted agency, trusted messengers? Uh, another event that we're having, and I'll let Marcelina talk about this, but the Native Awareness Subcommittee is holding an event to increase awareness about issues that Native American individuals, Indigenous peoples are dealing with and living through today. So yes, um, as the chair for the Native American Awareness Subcommittee, I'd like to invite everyone to our Native American Heritage Month celebration event on November 16th. It will be virtual uh, from 1.30 to 3.30. Assemblyman James Ramos will be joining us to talk about the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative that was passed by Secretary of Interior Doug Holland as well as issues regarding missing and murdered indigenous peoples. And I'm sure that he'll be talking about the curriculum that he, the bill that he is trying to pass regarding changing the curriculum that's more inclusive of accurate native history. So yes, I'd like to invite everybody. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me. We will be sending out the flyers shortly. And we also just want to, like Maribel was saying, we just wanna make sure that we're honoring those ancestors, those individuals that have gone before us and whose lands that, that we are fortunate enough to reside on. 
wow, it, from the outside looking in, you know, I want to always be respectful of other people. H- how do I honor them without, you know, misstepping? One thing um, I'm just going to say that I don't represent all Native Americans. We all have our own creation stories. Our ceremonies are all unique. And so I think um, honoring those individuals are indigenous to this land. We are from here. We didn't come here. And I think that's part of it. And I think even having the conversation regarding our history and acknowledging that history is is the first step. Well, I feel like the three of us here have contributed to doing just that, I hope. Thank you so much, Maribel and Marcelina, for being with us here today. Thank you, Aymara. Thank you so much. To learn more about the Indigenous tribes that resided on the land that you reside on, text your zip code or city to one. 907-312-5085. Recovery happens every day. Listen to the special poem about recovery by a DBH employee. Hi, my name is Jamal Johnson. I'm an AOD counselor with DBH. And here's my poem. A 15-year-old, not yet grown, Refusing to listen to those that said you're not ready, gave birth to me, then refused to give up on me. Unprepared herself, she tried her best to prepare me for the world. Son, don't do that, she said in her most stern voice. Son, don't do that, she said, filled with worry. Son, stay away from there, she said with concern. Son, stay away from there, she yelled with the sound of fear. But I refused to listen unconsciously mimicking an absent father who left me lonely, confused, struggling to make sense of why, why I wasn't good enough for him to stay around. Through all of my pain, she refused to give up on me. Drowning my pain in alcohol, standing in the hollows of juvenile hall, she refused to give up on me. Hustling, robbing, banging, and selling drugs, she refused to give up on me. Sitting in the courtroom, 17 years old, facing a judge for a crime that would most certainly get me time beyond time. She begged the judge to have mercy on her baby. As the judge sat on the bench, blank-faced, she cried. The judge said, I sentence you 25 years to life. She hollered, screamed, and cried. But she refused to give up on me. I worked tirelessly to become a better version of, of, of me because she refused to give up on me. I seen true love through her version of me. Now I am a better me, because she refused to give up on me. Love taught me to forgive, and I was able to heal my pain by getting to know the man that abandoned me. And now I was able to see what a great man he became to be, because she refused to give up on me. Self-care is always important. Let's hear from a DBH employee about how they practice self-care in this week's Self-Care Corner. Hi there, my name is Cynthia Velasco. I'm a Secretary 1 here at Workforce Education and Training. Self-care is extremely important in my life. Um, I'm a mother of two wonderful girls, so having self-care is definitely important, right? I have an 18-year-old and a 10-year-old, so girls can be 
kind of funny sometimes. So having that time away and showing them what to do for self-care is extremely important. We like to do yoga and yoga is such a grounding exercise that definitely gets you in that state of mind where you know that you're going through the breathing, you are connecting with the earth, it gets you grounded. So uh, yoga for us is extremely important for self-care. Self-care is important not just for um, us adults, but also for children and for married couples, for single folks, for everyone, because it gets you in that state of mind where you can think clearly, right? Um, I know that we all have different situations and interactions with people throughout our day. And the way that you react to that can put you in a state of mind where it could be positive or negative. So being able to kind of step back into yourself and be able to center yourself and take care of yourself for that quick second is extremely important. Self-care is extremely personal as well. I know that for me, yoga is something that I love to do to be able to stay centered, but there are so many different things that you can do to self-care. Taking a walk. We love to sing in my house, so it brings us joy. Baking is also something that I love to do when I am contemplating something or I have a decision that I need to make. Just being able to kind of put my hands to work and my mind to work puts me in that state of mind where, yes, I am taking care of myself internally. Find what you what works for you find that little bit of safe space that gets you in that special moment where you feel grounded that's definitely important thank you for joining us for another great episode of resilient and real as we continue to celebrate native american heritage month be sure to follow us on social media Until next time, live life resilient and real.